Welcome to Earth Voice. I'm your host, Elizabeth Claire Alberts. I feel like every day I've done something tangible. There is no one who's going to fight for these animals. They have to be protected. And you can make positive change happen. And it's time to speak up. You are those animals' hope. This third episode of Earth Voice takes you to Watamu, a small coastal town on the Kenyan coast. I traveled there in June to spend time with the team at Watamu Turtle Watch, which rescues and rehabilitates critically endangered turtles. We'll hear from founder Nikki Palazzo, program director Casper Vandegeer, and local team members, including Fakiri Kapunda, one of the rescue coordinators. So sit back and listen and enjoy the journey. The day I arrive at Watamu Turtle Watch, I'm immediately invited to go out on a rescue. I climb into the cargo bed of a truck, squeezing myself between several volunteers. We hold on tightly as the truck rattles down worn cement and dirt roads. Most people who live in Watamu are conservative Muslim, and I'm suddenly self-conscious of my bare legs beneath my capri pants. But there's no time to go back and change. The truck pulls up to the tin-roofed home perched on the side of the road, and we follow Fakiri Kapunda, the rescue coordinator, inside. The owner of the home, a tall Kenyan fisherman wearing a traditional takia cap, leads us to a plastic tub of water. Swimming inside the tub is a baby hawksbill turtle, one of the most endangered animals in the world. Fakiri explains that the baby turtle washed up on Motamu Beach, and the fishermen decided to rescue it. But he doesn't seem to have any injuries, only that she has like a deformity on a carapace, it's kind of like slanting. But again, I don't think that's the problem that made her very weak, because she doesn't look to be that weak, not to be able to swim. Okay, we'll take her back and assess her even more and see if we should be able to swim anyway. So we'll take her out on a low tide and see how she does perform. But at the moment, she looks strong. So hope she'll manage. A volunteer holds the baby turtle as we drive back to the rescue center, and we take turns peering at the tiny life sheltered in the cup of her hands. The team at Watamu Turtle Watch has saved hundreds, if not thousands of turtles. Not just hawksbills, but green, leatherback, loggerhead, and olive ridley turtles, who are all endangered or critically endangered species. In 1997, a woman named Nikki Palazzo helped start Watamu Turtle Watch. And it all began with her simple fascination for these animals. I've always loved turtles. So when I came down here, we had a wonderful um, old lady called Barbara Simpson who worked here, who lived here. She was a quite a well-known naturalist. And she employed somebody to walk down the beach to look after the turtle nests. And when she started getting old and infirm, I was actually quite scared of her, but she was a wonderful, wonderful woman. So one day I got summoned to go and have tea with her. And she said that she was too old to check up on what was happening. And um, she wanted to hand it over to me. Nikki grabbed a few friends 
And together, they started making regular trips to the beach to check on the nesting turtles. They needed to make sure poachers weren't taking the eggs or disturbing the mother turtles in any way. Their efforts began quite small, but their work blossomed into what is now known as the Local Ocean Trust, which has its headquarters on a small property close to Watamu Beach. Besides the Turtle Rescue and Rehab Center, there's an education center, and accommodation for guests wanting to volunteer their time at the Trust. There's also a permanent staff of local workers who run the organization on a day-to-day -day basis. We employ 20 Kenyans here, every single one of them, down to our cook, our lovely cook and our house girl. They all go on releases. They know how to verify a turtle nest, um, right up to our top management who came here almost all of them knowing absolutely nothing about marine conservation and I hope you will have seen that they are really passionate and they love what they do. So that's just fantastic. It's a really, um, it makes it makes it you feel good when you come in in the morning. Casper van de Geer, the program's director and resident marine biologist, says it's hard for some people to care about turtles and even harder for them to care about the oceans. Some people have real difficulties identifying with with the marine environment. I mean, a fish is not particularly cuddly animal. I mean, I I disagree with that fully, of course. <laughs> and even turtles, people say, well, you know, it's this weird reptile creature, and you know, why why bother with that sort of thing? But it's um, there's definitely a very important story to tell there, and humanity relies on these creatures more than uh, than most people realize, really. To Casper, turtles are one of the most important animals in our oceans. They're considered keystone species because they play a pivotal role in maintaining the marine environment. One thing they do is help seagrass grow. So because they nibble on the seagrass, they thin it out, but not to an extent where it disappears, but they thin it out to an extent where it's actually, they, it grows quicker and there's more, uh, there will be more um, healthy, green, young shoots. It's like also with your lawn. You know, the more you cut the grass, the faster your grass grows. Turtles munching on seagrass doesn't just help the grass itself. It also helps other animals. Them thinning out the seagrass, there's more space and it's more, it's a more suitable habitat for lots of sea creatures actually to, to spend time there. Uh, shrimp live in seagrass beds. Uh, they can hide out in there, that sort of thing. But also little juvenile fish, crabs, eels, all sorts of stuff actually lives in the seagrass bed. Also, um, studies have found that seagrass beds are actually more productive uh, in locking down carbon and carbon dioxide um, than tropical rainforests. So by eating seagrass and making it grow quicker, sea turtles are actually helping lock down carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which is, you know, absorbed into the water. The water, uh, through the water, the seagrass actually absorbs this carbon dioxide. But these turtles, who have lived on Earth for millions of years, are in big trouble. One of the biggest threats they face is poaching. And it's not just their eggs that are vulnerable their meat has been considered a delicacy for a very long time. People have been eating turtles for literally for thousands of years. Um, there are stories that uh, Winston Churchill used to have a bowl of 
green turtle soup for lunch every single day of his life, wherever he was, even during the Second World War, in the middle of the desert. You know, ask our grandparents and they will probably remember cans of green turtle soup in the supermarket on the shelves. It was a very, very cheap, very delicious, apparently, I've never tried it, uh, thing to eat. Um, nowadays, though, you know, it's like with any big animal in, in the world that we live in today, it's over-harvested and there's not many of them left. Most turtles are endangered now, if not critically endangered. So killing them for meat is highly illegal. Not only that, but the ocean around Motamu is a protected sanctuary. But sadly, poaching is still common here, despite there being heavy penalties for killing turtles. The poaching has decreased uh, dramatically, but it's something that still happens even in the areas where we patrol when there's a lot of tourists in the area the jobs are well not plentiful but there's enough work for everybody the hotels are open the shops are open the the restaurants are open but when the rains start and the seaweed comes onto the beach the hotels close down because the tourists don't come anymore then we've got about three to four months where people really struggle to find work and to uh, to feed their families in the past, people have really relied on, on fishing to fill that uh, gap. But unfortunately, the fish stocks here, especially closer into the coast, have really taken a beating. Uh, and fishing, overfishing has really taken its toll. And so people turn to what's plentiful. And because our work in the past 20 years has been successful and there are more turtles here than in, uh, in other areas, they're like, well, there's a turtle there and there's another turtle there and there's no fish. So why not just kill a turtle? Well, because it's illegal, yeah, but who's going to stop me? Who's going to arrest me? And that's, that's also uh, a, tricky, a tricky part of the equation. It's the enforcement of the law is, uh, is, is also a difficult, difficult aspect of, <laughs> of the whole thing, shall we say. Watermoo Turtle Watch tries to counteract this poaching crisis by working with local fishermen through a catch-release program. Whenever turtles get caught in their nets, the fishermen are encouraged to report it. Fakiri, the program's coordinator, explains how it works. Basically, we arrange with them where to meet, and we meet at their landing sites, where we take all the necessary data about the turtle. The turtles are assessed. If the turtle is not sick, not injured, then the turtle is tagged and released in the marine park, and the fisherman is remunerated. For Fakiri, running the program means working very long hours, six days a week. My day could begin very early in the morning. Like, whenever I get a call, I have to respond to it. Sometimes it gets busier with turtles, depending on how the tides are, because like now the tides are kind of rough. Not so many fishermen going out fishing. So, like, in a day, you could release like three turtles, but sometimes it gets busier and busier. So you could release like 10 plus turtles in a day. Fakiri actually left a successful accounting job to work for Watermoo Turtle Watch. But he says he can't imagine doing anything else. I feel like every day I've done something tangible because at least every day I feel like I've done something that I'll be remembering for all of my life. Like one life of turtle saved, that means a lot to me. The program seems to be working too. Kehindi, another rescue coordinator at Wadamu Turtle Watch, 
takes me to meet a fisherman who participates in the catch-release program. Since the fisherman speaks no English, Kahindi translates for me. What motivates you to call them to, to get in touch with the Turtle Watch? Kwa sababu ya kuwashika wanyama tutaki kuwachinja na tutaki kuwapoteza wanaleta maendeleo katika nchi yetu na lazima tuwahifadhi as a fish as a fisherman he does not want to kill slaughter them or do anything bad to them he would love to conserve them and the only way he knows of is to to do the work via that watch a common complaint amongst fishermen is turtles damaging their expensive nets but many fishermen are more than willing to help turtles rather than hurt them. He claims the relationship between turtle watch and the Watami community is really good. Every turtle that is caught here, it be, it be released via turtle watch project without even being chased around. So they are doing it willingly. But unfortunately, not every fisherman is willing to release the turtles they catch in their nets. Some even deliberately catch turtles so they can sell their meat in shells. Sammy, the group's anti-poaching expert, takes a handful of volunteers, including myself, to look for turtle bones on a beach peppered with caves and cliffs. Within minutes, Sammy finds a bone hidden at the back of a cave. So this is a, a rib of a dead turtle. This one is a full-grown turtle. You can tell from the size of uh, the rib. Most of the turtles around here that die, they are normally poached. Uh, there are times you might even find that um, there is, maybe you get uh, the shell, you find that it has been speared. So you can now tell that uh, this one was uh, poached by a fisherman or uh, somebody who was targeting turtles. Sammy and the volunteers find several more bones and shells which are collected and reported to the Kenya Wildlife Service. In the past, Sammy has even seen poachers in action. We came across uh, somebody who was in fact butchering a turtle. In fact, there were two guys and one was just standing on uh, top of the cliff. When he saw us, he just flagged the rest and they started now running. So we went closer and uh, found that there was a turtle that had already been uh, butchered. But poaching isn't the only threat to turtles. Turtles may sustain fatal injuries from boats and fishing nets, even when fishermen aren't trying to hurt them. Plastic pollution is another problem. While searching for food, turtles often mistake plastic waste as something edible. Casper says this usually leads to injury and death. Plastic ingestion is, is a big one. and Unfortunately, turtles do die from that. It's quite often by the time we get them in here. Uh, they've been floating at the surface or that sort of thing and they're very close to death already. Um, and we try and do the best we can, but you know, from a turtle that's completely blocked up with plastic and string and that sort of thing and is completely emaciated, anemic and all sorts of stuff, it's, it's quite difficult to try and get them back up to a, you know, some healthy state again. There's also a contagious disease called fibropapilloma or fibro that's wreaking havoc on turtle populations around the world. The disease is caused by toxins in the ocean, and it will cover a turtle with tumors and eventually kill them. 
Then there's beach erosion. Casper explains that many hotels in Motamu are too close to the shoreline, which doesn't allow sand to naturally ebb and flow with the tides. To try and save their land, the hotels are constructing seawalls with sand-stuffed plastic sacks. Where we have these sacks, obviously the turtles can no longer dig to lay their eggs. Uh, so, you know, this area, although it was already impacted by the hotels because of uh, sound and noise pollution, uh, it, there's no, now, now no way that the turtles can come up here and, and try, even try and dig for a nest. We've already had uh, a, a female turtle that came up to nest in a whole different area to here, and she was digging, 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 and some of our staff were watching her dig, and she gave up, and she went somewhere else. And when they checked out the location where she tried to dig and couldn't, they found one of these bags at the bottom of the, of the, of the hole. The main stretch of Wotamu Beach is peppered with turtle nests, each holding dozens of tiny eggs buried deep in the sand. One evening, I'm invited to go on a night patrol to check on the nests. We leave after midnight with red light torches strapped to our foreheads, searching for anyone interfering with the eggs. But instead of finding anything ominous, we're met with a wonderful surprise. A nest has just hatched, and we watch with wonder as tiny hatchlings skitter across the sand towards the ocean. These teensy, freshly hatched babies have to overcome a lot of big obstacles. The first thing they have to do is traverse the rough terrain of sand, as well as any debris. Then they have to get past the ghost crabs, who are ready to gobble them up before they reach the water. Baby turtles rely on mood light to guide them, but artificial light from hotels and private homes can cause confusion, and I see this for myself. There's another one. This one right here. Come on. It may be tempting to just pick them up and plop them into the water, but this would do more harm than good. When baby turtles crawl across the sand, they're memorizing the beach with their bodies, so they know how to come back to this exact spot to mate and lay eggs. The next morning, I wake up tired but full of hope as I remember the hatchlings who made it to the ocean last night. And later that day, I get to witness an adult green turtle being released. A visiting friend of Nikki's, Colin Francombe, who also works in conservation, carries the turtle to the water. I'm just about to put him back where he came from, where he was obviously born and brought up, but I don't in the sea there. So it seems very it's special for you to do Very this. special, very special. These guys are so special, who bring him all here. Yeah, most of the fishermen would take them and eat them, but now they have, they're being brought in. That's fantastic. It's great. Turtles face what feels like an overwhelming number of problems. But the work at Watamu Turtle Watch saves lives every single day. 
And these triumphs are what keep Nikki and her team going. 25 years ago, you didn't really see that many turtles here. Um, and my husband, actually, I have to say, used to say to people, well, it's because of the project that you see more turtles. And I used to tell him to shut up because, you know, there was obviously no scientific way that we could prove it. But I think that even us, who are very careful about, you know, if we say we've done something, we have to have the goods to back it up. And I think even all of us at the project now would say, yeah, we must be making a difference because there are a heck of a lot more turtles around here. This audio story couldn't have been made without the help of many donors and supporters, including Russell and Beverly Lamb from Eco Down Under and Jacob Round of Round Sound Music. And a huge thank you to Nikki Palazzo, Casper Van de Geer, and the rest of the team at Watamu Turtle Watch. If you'd like to learn more about Watamu Turtle Watch and the local Ocean Trust, visit their website, which you can find on the Earth Voice Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to speak up.